Welcome to Culture Crawl HCX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. You know, it's just been wonderful these past few days to wake up in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's America. Uh, there's still much work to be done. I mean, you know, you guys know that. Uh, we all know that. But it's just something about knowing that the people who will be taking the helm are people who um, are not going to encourage uh, violence, vitriol, hate, and uh, all of those things. So that is still a bright spot for me. Um, and I dare say it's probably the same for you guys. Uh, just the historical nature of this time, having um, a minority woman who will be serving as vice president after four long, grueling, and quite honestly, ugly years. Um, I just think it's still something that's worth celebrating right now. So that's kind of what I've been reflecting on. Um, so, yeah. Actually, <clears throat> to your point, uh, Michael is one of that one of those growing percentages of black males that uh, voted for Trump. Okay. That is so interesting. Don't don't let him do that. Michael, dude. would you like to explain uh, yourself? I, I, was no, gonna say, no. I was gonna say, is there is there is I was like, I'm waiting for like the uh yes, because <laughs> No, not, not at all. Uh, in full transparency, uh, I am not a Trump supporter. I am a supporter of the people. I have always been a supporter of the people um, in many different ways, even through the work that, that, I, that I do and continuously uh, aim to do in the future. Uh, but to your point, Yvonne, I definitely do understand what you mean about this aftermath from society that we're feeling today given the fact that we know what transition is going to happen in, in January and a lot of rebuilding and, and, re, uh, and restructuring that, that will need to happen to really paint the, the American society that, that I know and love right, to the broader community and even domestically, because there's a lot of people who have lost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, have lost the motivation or I guess the, the the, the passion and the, the uh, inspiration to really be um, American. I'm given the past four years and the decisions that have been made from our leadership, uh, but I am hopeful and glad to, to see the, the change coming on the horizon, right? And seeing the, the transfer of influence and ideologies and, and just, in, in my opinion, the, the true idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What, what are y'all gonna do if, I, I believe that I saw that Georgia is doing the hand recount. What are y'all gonna do if the recount comes back that Trump was actually the winner in Georgia and they won those two Senate seats? Well, I think that a recount is only going to If any other quote unquote votes that they find are going to be votes for people who voted um, the Democratic ticket, you know, just because all the research shows that 
the Republican Party encouraged people to go actually go to the polls, which is why we saw initially um, that, I mean, going to bed on election night, I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but I was worried. I was getting flashbacks of 2016, you know, because you're looking at the returns and the returns are leaning to the right. But that's because those are the votes that just got counted first. So mm. I feel like any other votes that they find are going to be votes that support Democrats. Um, to your point about the Senate, now I think that's what we are gonna see to heat, that's gonna heat up, right? Because these two Senate seats are no longer about Georgia. They are about the balance of power in Washington, DC, and every uh, PAC, every, um, you know, both parties, both national parties, local parties, they are pouring resources, finances, uh, ad space, media space, all of their treasure trove of talents, right, are going to descend on Georgia. Well, they're already descending on Georgia um, in order to secure this win, right? Because I'm sure you guys remember from high school, social studies or civics, you know, as long as we get 50-50, then Kamala Harris being the vice president will break any ties that need to be broken um, in order to move legislation forward. So um, I think that that is kind of where we are. Uh, you know, and big shout out to Stacey Abrams, right? I mean, in terms of looking at, you know, black women, black leaders, people who are moving the culture and the country forward, I think we have to definitely take a moment and just appreciate what she did. I, I feel like and you guys chime in, that she is kind of like our generation's Fannie Lou Hamer. You know, um, she took a lot, the losses she took in 2018, she turned it into, you know, the whole fair, founding of Fair Fight Action. And that's one of the vehicles, uh, you know, that were used to register a lot of voters and really encourage people to turn out uh, educate people on their voting rights. Now, she is not alone in what she did. Uh, Helen Butler and um, some other names. I'm kind of blanking on a couple of the other uh, women were involved. And also, this has been a movement uh, present in Georgia. I would, I would guess, if I had to say, probably the last, what, two cycles, so like eight to 10, maybe even 12 years, this has been kind of a, uh, a conversation. Um, there've been wh whispers and, and mumblings and rumblings of, of this for quite some time. But I definitely think that she is getting credit and rightly so for her role in, you know, where Georgia is right now. Um, you said, you know, a couple cycles and the rumbling, do you mean that Georgia could potentially vote blue? Or do you mean that Stacey Abrams had been in the, um, in the consciousness of the people in Georgia for, for a number of years? I think, I think both. I was actually meaning it uh, in terms of the way that 
uh, people were voting, you know, because you have Atlanta and, you know, the population has grown so much. It now includes so many of the suburbs, right? And so the patterns with which people are moving and living and buying homes, um, how Atlanta itself is so progressive and is a quote unquote melting pot. Uh, it is a major epicenter of business and commerce, entertainment, uh, travel, everything now. Um, and has been for quite some time. And so I think that that, right, the change in the electorate plus Stacey Abrams' um, activism and her run for governor, just her going out to even hear from people mm. as she was launching her uh, across her tours across the state to know what the issues were, to be able to speak to those concerns and registering people this cycle to vote, educating them, talking with them or or having people talk with them about the issues, I think was just really important. So I actually think, Donald, it's a kind of like a perfect storm situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we are in the conversation among a small group of talking about going to uh, Atlanta. Well, we're thinking of going to Georgia to help put boots on the ground to support the energy and the effort. Um, some people were saying, let's go to Atlanta. I was saying we should go to, you know, a, a more unknown part of the state where we may have more influence and impact, but we'll see if, if anyone can actually get on the plane. Um, but you're right. There is a lot of energy now that's focused on Georgia because we've seen what Mitch McConnell will do not only him, but then our handful of Republican Democrats, uh, they can't be trusted. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, to put it mildly. And I'm also actually planning uh, our mutual friend that we were talking about before the recording. Uh, She and I had a conversation to go uh, to just, like you said, be foot soldiers on the ground uh, to help the efforts of Raphael Warnock. And so I, I heard you say um, that you participate in the Obama campaign. And then I, I believe that you're in DC. Oh, actually, you know what? We started right in the middle. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, could you give us, you know, a little, a little bit of your background, maybe, you know, what you're up to now and what your passions are? Absolutely. Um, so uh, you're right. I do live in Washington, D.C. Um, I'm originally from uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, which is um, a smaller town right next to Greenville, South Carolina, which you probably both have heard of. And um I worked on the uh, inaugural Obama campaign. Uh, That cycle worked uh, for primary races and then later uh, went on to um, do some interning and assisting in Office of Public Engagement and worked on parts of the Affordable Care Act of 2010. Uh, After that experience, I uh, went to law school and uh, finished up my degree. And so I'm practicing law in uh, the DC area. I primarily practice employment um, uh, matters, civil rights matters, contractual matters. And um, 
And I also love I'm mentoring. I'm mentoring some high school students virtually, of course, mm-hmm. uh, right now uh, because of everything that's going on and um, just passionate about um, voting, uh, voting rights, activism, uh, the political process. I got to see so much of that in, with the first time that I was actually on a campaign to see kind of the vehicle go from start to or point A to point B. And so um, I definitely became just really uh, involved. I was involved a little bit before, but that really kind of um, took on its own uh, presence in my life. I was active even in college. I was I'm a student body vice president and um, I served, you know, on sorority council and, you know, these, you know, holding these different offices um, on campus. I'm sure you guys probably have similar, um, you know, leadership experiences and backgrounds. But um, right now, my focus is, um, you know, my clients doing doing uh, work for the firm, but also, um, you know, voting rights activism and those types of things. And so, it's a really great. Um, it was really difficult before I get to the good part to because I was a part of that 2008 kind of wave of quote unquote sweeping change, right? We know we don't live in a post-racial America, but uh, you know, just to see that happen, right? And then immediately following that to see the election of Donald Trump um, was really, really jarring. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the interview that Van Jones gave I think he gave it election night or even, or maybe the day after the 2016 election. And he was talking about the fact that the election of Donald Trump was a white lash. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Uh, and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with it. Uh, do yourself a favor, please Google um, that, that clip, that interview, uh, because it was very eye-opening. Um, and that's one of the one of the things that kind of stuck with me and that I revisited many times in the, uh, with this uh, most recent election cycle. So thank you for that. Um, one of the things I was gonna ask um, is given your, I'll use the word professional experience working on campaigns. If you go to Georgia, what do you plan on doing? And let's say I have no experience, well, Actually, back when Obama 08, I helped mm-hmm. out in one of the um, campaign offices in Fairfax County, Virginia, in Northern Virginia. Uh, so I would be okay. helping out, putting out signs. We went and door knocked, stuff like that. Um, so I did it, um, but I don't work in a campaign. But for somebody, let's say, who is not familiar with the hands-on process, and I just want, and I plan on, or maybe we will, just go to Georgia to help, what would I actually do? Well, there are, you know, several things uh, that you can do. One of the big things, as you guys know, um, is having that ground game and having like that face-to-face interaction with the voter. Unfortunately, because of our 
current situation with the pandemic, uh, you know, that is not the wisest, um, most, um, I guess, health conscious thing to do. Uh, so you take those tactics, you take those ideas and you make them virtual. So they'll virtual phone banking, uh, you know, the calls uh, for the people handing, if you're going to do those voter interactions, um, instead of, if you can't go door to door, going to a large place where people would gather, uh, potentially, uh, and which, you know, if it's if there's any sort of event going on right now with COVID, that might be an issue. But traditionally, you know, you hit your like your gyms, your grocery stores, your churches and all of those things. But because of the COVID, if people are going door to door, they're kind of it's kind of like a knock, knock on the door and then engaging with people in the yard. Right. Like six to eight feet apart with masks and that kind of thing. Um, you know, Joe just uh, Republicans because they said, you know, that he wasn't getting out um, in those in those beginning months as much. But I think we're good. We're just uh, making sure to have a really strong social media presence and talking to other real people and posting those videos, um, not videos of the candidate more so, but videos of why people felt like it was a good idea to vote for him. And so on the ground in Georgia, I plan on being part of virtual phone banking, um, making sure if there's a place for me to help with any sort of social media outreach, because we know that uh, the text, your text game, uh, text messaging to get people out to vote, of course. Uh, social media game has to be tight uh, and just being boots on the ground this time will probably refer more to uh, more inside activities like guess, phone banking and then I imagine. Uh, not sure that that's what I would expect. Um, you know, going there and, you know, mm -hmm. offering my help. <clears throat> yeah, actually you, you make a good point about coronavirus. So as we watch our numbers spike, uh, you know, I just had some stat that said we've had, I wonder, um, and, and, and I'm and folding that conversation into the fact that this is going to be a runoff and usually the voter turnout for runoffs is less than that original experience. I wonder, will they be doing mail-in ballots for the runoff? And if the COVID numbers increase, will they be shutting down the ability to even vote in person? That will be very interesting. I am not sure. I know that um, I think your the deadline in Georgia is December 7th for, you know, voter registration. Um, and then December 14th is the first day of early voting. Um, now, I don't know, like, in 
you know, all of the uh, wonderful black women who are there on the ground with organization and, and power and resources, they're probably going after some of those voters too young to vote. Just had, maybe you just had a birthday. Now you're 18, maybe happens and now makes you eligible to vote. And so I feel like that there may be some targeting of some of the young people, um, perhaps that, hey, this is, you didn't get to vote for the president, but you can vote in, in your state's race. And so I would imagine that they would be being very targeted and strategic with that population. And it's kind of a subset of a subset, right? So again, not sure what their exact plan uh, is, but I would imagine that population. But I also feel like that, you know, people know that the stakes are high. And I think that people are being encouraged to make a plan to vote for the runoff and mm -hmm. and it will be harder to ignore you know in this year in particular and you know there is a there is a quote-unquote thing called you know voter fatigue and you know people are tired this was a very long campaign for both sides there was this was a very long, i mean i feel like we have basically been waiting for last Tuesday for four years. And so, you know, people are very tired. They're tired of politics. They're tired of the advertisements. They're tired of getting the fundraising calls and the calls. then the actual election is not held until January the 5th. So hopefully people will have a, uh, as best a holiday as they can, right? And um, still be motivated to get out and vote. But it, it is tough, it is tough. You're, you're exactly right to say that, Donald, about uh, turnout dwindling um, down significantly from a presidential election to you know, a runoff election. Yeah, <clears throat> and as I think about Georgia, to go back to what Donald asked in the beginning, it doesn't matter in Nevada, Pennsylvania, Maine, I believe he needs more than just Georgia. And if I remember correctly, Trump filed some type of lawsuit in at least four states, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so on the election side, you know, Trump needs a lot more than just Georgia. So I'm not worried about Georgia turning red or blue. Uh, definitely shout out to, to Stacey Abrams for allowing Georgia to even be in this discussion, uh, because I definitely agree with what you said earlier about Stacey Abrams turning a 2018 loss into a 2020 win. And who knows what the next two years or a year from now until 2024 is going to look like, but, you know, in Georgia and what that looks like. Um, and of course, I have hopes of making Texas blue. So we'll see how, how that comes as well. Uh, but as far as the Senate piece is concerned, that's going to have to happen. Uh, whether it's Georgia, 
Um, so there, so there's definitely a lot of moving pieces, but but things are looking exciting because Yvonne, I believe you said it earlier, uh, just based on the more and more we count, the population overall is supporting more Democrats right now, given the time that we're in and based on the past four years. That's right. And I feel like the lawsuits, I mean, the lawsuits are nothing but uh, theatrics uh, because to actually win, to challenge and win, there has to be a basis, right? Like you can't, you can't just say, you know, I didn't win, so it, there must be fraud, which is basically what he's been asserting this whole time. And, you know, illegal action, while a lot of his supporters may be fired up and galvanized behind, you know, the fact that he's not conceding, the fact that, you know, he's he's filed all of these, uh, you know, and I will say frivolous uh, law, lawsuits um, in these different states, you know, I, I, I honestly and this could be unpopular opinion, uh, guys, but I honestly think this is nothing but a dog and pony show, if you will, to underscore uh, and to push out uh, voters in Georgia. I could be wrong about it. Uh, I just think this is this would be a really easy way to make sure that people don't forget about the election on the GOP side in Georgia, right? Because it's like, oh, it's fraud. We should be free. They're taking the you know they've infringed on of the voting the election wasn't safe and secure all of which right have been proven so i feel like you know them dig in with both heels is because of georgia i truly believe that i mean people may say there he really does think that there is a there is a reason to challenge so what is the reason you guys, what is the reason? I mean, there, I mean, yes, the count in Georgia is close, but still, I honestly feel like it's, it's, you know, Trump, McConnell, um, and some of the other, Graham, some of the other uh, political operatives, you know, on the conservative side, who are just trying to stoke the fire and fan the flames long enough so that people don't forget in the runoff. That's what I feel. I, I not, again, I could be wrong. Um, you know, I'm not a strategist for either side, right? But when you know, in, in listening and looking and reading, I just feel like that's where where everything kind of leads. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, if, if you think about um, if you think about the idea that if if there's a defeatist attitude then why would the GOP come out and vote for a, a race that's been lost? But if you continue fighting, then you're not only fighting, you're, you're not necessarily fighting for the position that you're talking about, you're fighting to keep people engaged. Precisely, yeah, precisely. And you know, um, I don't know if you guys remember, um, you know, let's, let's take a trip. Um, you know, back down memory lane, uh, Donald, because we both kind of brought up 2008. If you remember, Sarah Palin, when the McCain and Palin ticket lost the election to, you know, Barack Obama and Joe Biden, what did she do initially? She, this 
the same thing that they did. This is where the tea party came from. If you think back, if you think back, she, you know, you know, played to every fear. You know, what did she say? Those soccer moms, you know, she played to every fear, every big black, this big black scary man is going to completely tank the country. You know, it's not ours anymore. Um, you know, our rights have been violated. You know, they love to throw in a, a, a rights violation, <laughs> whether it's true or not. You know, and she, they fan these flames. They fan these flames from the far right. And then what do we get? We got the tea party, right? And then if you think about it, we have, we lost all of those midterm elections. Mm -hmm. And then that underswell, that really, I call it like the underbelly, those tea partiers, the underbelly of, you know, just the moderate Republican movement, those are the people that turned out in 2016 that elected Donald Trump. Mm. So you can say, going back to Stacey Abrams, you know, her work was, it was, really was divine. It was, it was a mighty, but I, there was groundswelling in that really kind of propelled her forward. But yeah, I, I think a lot of times start years and even maybe get planted at a different time. Um, and so I just wanted to make that point. Yeah, well, <clears throat> it should be exciting. I mean, these next four years are certain to be interesting. Um, I, I also saw that, that Trump is already saying that he's going to run again in 2024. And if he did, he would initially be the front runner, which would be hilarious. Uh, but that assumes he's not in prison. Actually, you know what? I, I know we're going to have to, I can't remember how mm -hmm. much time had, but um, given your legal background, let me ask you this. And, and seeing the stuff in the media about, um, who is it? The first, the something district of New York people are always talking about um, is tr when Trump is done in office, will he be uh, immediately in the legal system for lawsuits and, and fraud and all the stuff that we've been hoping? Um, I think that that is a very real uh, I think that that is a very real thing that he is thinking about, um, you know, because he has, um, I mean, he's doing everything that he can to, you know, hold on to uh, the power that he has, but, you know, he, he definitely has that risk of prosecution kind of uh, what do you call a looming? Yeah, prosecution class. I'll say that. Um, you know, he will be um, all the civil lawsuits um, that are more so involving, I guess, his business practices. Um, those aren't really related to his time in office. Uh, but even the tax issue, right, that we have uh, seen people talking about, you know, because once when the inauguration is on January the 20th. So on January 21st, he becomes 
a Yvonne, he becomes a Donald, he becomes a Michael, you know, it's like you, you lose the shield, you have to take the cape off, you know, give me your sword, you know what I mean, everything, it's like, you are just a regular citizen, um, and he's under investigation for several things, I believe, you know, we have the criminal tax evasion, I think there's some insurance fraud mixed in there, um, and there could be some other things too, uh, I want to say, um, you know, he, he had the issues and I, I believe I heard something somewhere about a, a larceny, like, you know, or embezzlement too. So, I mean, the list is, I don't even think we have time on this podcast. I don't know how long this podcast goes for, but I don't think that we have enough time to delve into each of those issues. Right. But to answer your question, uh, he faces a lot of legal battles and um, he owes money on income taxes. He has some real estate debt. Um, and so, yeah, I think that <laughs> I think that he has every reason to be to be nervous, um, you know, and, and it, you, if you think about it, you know, if he ends up actually in prison, which I mean, he could I mean, he could end up in prison you know, he'll basically be sitting there with all of the other people in his administration that have gone, that have already been taken out, right? So um, it's not completely far-fetched. So I'll say that. Oh, for sure. And I definitely agree with you, Yvonne, that right now, which I still don't understand how this is like a law that we have that we can't charge the current president or the sitting president Crimes. Yep. My honestly, definitely believe it. But from from the evidence that I've seen, what I know, and from anybody's perspective, that if you are guilty, or you believe, or if you believe that other people believe you're guilty, why would you want to give up that power? Why would you want to give up that shield? Exactly especially when you right. talk about, especially when you talk about the highest power in the land, right? Like you're the you are the president of the United States of America. That holds a lot of weight. And not everyone, what, what is it, about more than half of the population didn't vote for him as president. So there are people who do not support him completely and don't just fall in line to his uh, absurdness <laughs> or absurdity that's been going on for these past four years. Uh, so with that being said, I 100% believe that, yes, Donald, the moment he is out of office, after that, was it the second Tuesday of the first Monday, I believe, I think the 11th, if I'm not mistaken, right after that day, I do believe uh, charges will be drawn. I do believe the FBI uh, will be arresting Donald, Donald Trump on, on several different allegations. So that's why he will be fighting to and nail the overall. Huh. Actually, that would be pretty interesting. That will be pretty interesting if the FBI, an organization that he was running via bar, then turns around and shows up at his door. Um, it, you know, this is probably, now we're definitely getting into a, a different topic, but all of the conversation around lock her up with Hillary and her emails and Benghazi and, and all- Talk these, about it. Um, and whatever other distractions there were, right? Like 
he might actually end up in prison. But if he ends up in prison, let me say it like this. I think that the system protects him from prison because the system doesn't want to introduce the potential that it looks like political retaliation of the loser, right? The, the, the storyline will have to be very tight that says these charges stem from before he became president and during his time in office. These charges have nothing to do with him as the president because my guess is that there's probably a whole host of other leaders in the House and the Senate that also could potentially be headed to prison. And it would be a really bad look, even if it was the right look. I agree. And I think, you bring and I think the one thing that you brought up um, that really just kind of like hit home for me is just the double standard, right? You know, just the, you know, and, I, and I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, saying that Hillary Clinton was an amazing uh, candidate. I mean, she was very flawed. They all are, quite honestly. But the fact that people were getting on board with the whole like hashtag lock her up movement when she didn't even do a third <laughs> of what he has done, it is just a reminder to me as a woman that, you know, that the double standard is just so glaring. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because I thought about that too. Um, as you know, as you were speaking, it just kind of took me back to that moment. I think I might've interrupted Michael. Did you have a point to make? Michael? Yeah, I was just going to agree and just say that I do remember that, that connection and here it is now. Uh, he's in a similar situation and it, it just brings up what they did with Barack Obama back in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, well, it wasn't 2012, it was 2014. Uh, when, when it, uh, no, actually 2014, 2016, there you go, 2016 when it transpired when Barack Obama was in office and he wanted to elect someone for the Supreme Court. But they're like, oh no, you can't do that. We're, we're too close. But then fast forward to this year's election, and here it is, they were able to um, have a elected individual on the Supreme Court in time. So it goes back to that hypocrisy about when they choose to follow the law or when they choose to follow democracy or when they choose to follow the people's voice. It's really when it's only in favor of the, of the masses. And I forgot, I'm not sure if this was on our last podcast or not, Donald. So yeah, yeah, so let me know. But when we're just talking about right now, the, oh, no, it wasn't our last podcast. It was in a meeting that I had. But when we're talking about here in Texas, I think the year is 2042. And if I'm not mistaken, the year 2042 is when the um, whites here in Texas will no longer be the majority. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just for Texas or if that's across the U.S. But this idea and this fear from the white population that now if we are no longer the majority, well, then now we no longer have the right to this current class system that's in place. So connecting all that, I just see how there's a group of individuals that are trying to retain power for as long as possible and doing everything that they can, whether it's through the Supreme Court, 
whether it's through the presidency, uh, whether it's through um, CARES Act funding and where that's going and how it's being administered, um, or even where we think about COVID-19 relief. So using power in many different ways to create or to, or to sustain the current status quo that, is, that has been uplifted the systematic racism and the class system where those of a certain pigmentation are at the bottom and those that are from the white majority at the top. Yeah, you're exactly right, uh, Michael. And you were right that it's gonna happen in Texas, but it's actually the 2042, hashtag 2042, right? Um, we love a good hashtag, right? Um, it is going to happen uh, nationwide was my understanding. Um, you know, according to the census, um, it seems as though, and this is all together, right? So Hispanic people, Black people, Asian people, American uh, or Native American people, uh, Amer and then Indian people that Hawaiian Pacific Islander, all together will out number people. So, um, but and that is at, and twenty forty two is actually quicker than what the original projection was. So the original projection was twenty fifty, but based on how fast the population is growing, you know, immigration trends, we were talking about uh, the patterns where people are living, things like that. We were talking about Georgia a little bit ago. All of these things are kind of um, all ingredients in the, it will be a minority majority soup, you know, that year moving forward. And like you said, they are completely and totally scared about that. Yeah, and this is one thing that I've thought about, and I haven't So we do love just data and facts and things that are real. So please feel free to send those our way. But as far as the data point is concerned, as I think about where we are right now as a, as a nation and as a society, is that we need to think through, it, are, are there trends being accurate right now? Because I don't know how much COVID-19 has affected the, uh, the changes or the trends, because we do know that the Black and Hispanic community are those that have been the largest percentages of deaths by COVID. And I'm not sure what the age breakdown of those. But if we think about, you know, population growth, if a certain part or a certain segment of the population um, within a given ethnicity have diminished or have died off um, due to lack of treatment, due to COVID, due to government negligence, well, then how, has, how does that impact the trend over time? And is 2042 the actual, uh, the actual number, right? Or, you know, as I'm thinking through this, does a certain increase of that that actually produces more life elsewhere, right? And now are people actually producing more because they realize of this loss that has transpired? And I haven't done any, any studies on that, but I'm really curious about, is it 2042 or is it gonna be more so like 2036, right? So what, what, 
what has our current situation and our current pandemic, how has that adjusted or changed the trends moving forward? Y'all are getting into some deep thinking now. Uh, I think we're going to have to wait and see. I think (laughs) we're going to have to wait and see, Michael, because we're, we're right here in it, right? Like we're literally in the belly of the beast right now. So we will have to, these will be things that will have to be studied, you know, in depth and, you know, and whatever the projected trends were, will have to be juxtaposed uh, against all of the data around COVID-19. You know, we don't know the answer, but these are amazing questions to be asked uh, because of the shift of uh, politics, political power, you know, and patterns, you know, in voters, uh, you know, living here in our country. And on that note, we're going to close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening. And we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.